How important do you believe is intuition in a person's life? How important do you think uh, having a heart is in the human body? <laughs> um, physically, you can't live without your heart. Mentally, spiritually, uh, I don't think you can survive without intuition. This notion that intuition doesn't decide for you, I think is a terribly important, important one. Um, it's, if there is, you know, one of the questions that I'm asked often at Q&As is, um, how do you know what is your intuitive voice and how do you know what is your made up voice or your rational voice? And one of the ways that I, I say you can tell is there is no fear or ambiguity or doubt associated with your intuitive voice. It's very clear, it's very quiet, it's very sure, but there's absolutely no fear associated with it because fear doesn't work with intuition. Fear, fear and, um, you know, I say in the film that fear is the biggest inhibitor to intuition. So if there is, if you're undecided as to what is your intuitive voice, you, that intuitive impulse and what is your, um, intellect, ego, personality talking to you, or as what Paul Selig would say, your, your small self, um, then if there's any kind of doubt associated with it, then you know that it's small self-based. Small self, that's so true. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow, I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. I have another delicious person to introduce you to today who's made an incredible film. His name is Bill Bennett. Welcome to the show, Bill. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Karen. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Bill. First of all, let me tell you what his film is called. It's all about your intuition. It's called PGS. Intuition is your personal guidance system. It's an 83-minute movie dealing with man's search or one man's search or Bill's search for a voice that saved your life, which we'll hear about. I'll just read your bio and tell people a little bit about you because you're a fascinating person, an absolutely fascinating person. Bill is an award-winning filmmaker and author in his country of Australia or our country of Australia. He's won the equivalent to the Oscars, the AACTA Award for the Best Film and Best Director and has been nominated for a further, a further 12 times. His documentary work has been awarded two Logies which again is an Australian thing, Google it, Australian television's highest award. He has two feature, film, feature films in uh, official selection at the Cannes Film Festival and four feature films in official selection at Toronto. He's won Best Picture at uh, Calvary, Vari, Palm Springs. How do you say that? Cal Carla Bavari. It's, Carla. In, uh, it's the Czech Republic. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's That's an important it. festival. Is it? Another important film festival. 
and in Hawaii. Uh, I've lost my place now, uh, the Hawaiian Film Festival. And your work has been screened at New York Museum of Modern Art. And you have had three major film representatives in Germany, the US and India, as Retro well. Retrospectives. Retrospectives. <laughs> Sorry. As well as Penguin Random House is publishing the trilogy uh, of young adult novels, Palace of Fires, and you're also uh, an adjunct professor of screen studies at one of Australia's largest universities. Which uni do you teach at, Bill? Uh, QUT. Oh, amazing. Mm. So, wow. So it's such an honour to have you uh, on the show. And um, you've sent me the film and I've watched it. And, of course, I've been exploring my intuitive abilities and have expanded them or developed them over the years. So I have my knowledge of what it is. But I wanted to get someone's um, view of the film that is not like me. So I've got my brother staying with me who kind of thinks, uh, he says he doesn't think I'm crazy, but I'm sure he does. And, you know, he's pretty mainstream and doesn't think about all this stuff that we uh, talk about on the show. So I asked him his perspective and it was really interesting. Shall we go into how you came about making this movie about intuition? Um. How it all started was that I was actually working on a movie in New Orleans, going back now quite a long time. Um, I was, I had to leave the city early to get a flight, first flight back to Los Angeles. I was in my car driving to the airport. It was before dawn. It was dark. There were no cars on the road. I was approaching an intersection. There was a green light up ahead. And as I approached the intersection, I heard a voice which said, slow down. I'd never heard a voice like this before. Um, and of course, I ignored it. I just thought it was just weird. I went to accelerate to get through on the green light because I was running a bit late. The voice came in a second time, slow down. I did slow down. And then a huge truck ran a red light on a cross street. And it hurtled through the intersection, just missing me. If I hadn't heard that voice, and more importantly, if I hadn't acted on that voice, the truck would have would have hit me and would have killed me. Mm. And that was really the start of it because I, I got to the other side of the intersection. I pulled up, I was shaking with adrenaline and shock and so forth because I, I had just so narrowly um, missed death. And three questions occurred to me. What was that voice? Where did it come from? And why did it save my life? Mm. And those, those three questions then really from that point on, um, carried me through the film. I really wanted to make a film to explore those three questions. And so what I did, it took quite a long time to get to this point, but what I did over a three-year period was I traveled the world to talk to experts on intuition spanning fields of science, religion, and spirituality. I really wanted to get a cross-section um, to try and, try and find out what the hell happened. Yeah. Oh, look, it's amazing. Like you travel the world finding out like someone with me who had that same question when I was younger, just did a whole lot of courses <laughs> instead of traveling the world, talking to experts. But you made the film with your producer wife, Jennifer Clough, who's been working in the film industry most of her life as an actress, script editor and producer, and has been yeah. pursuing a life of spiritual development for, for more than 25 years. So how many years ago did you hear the voice when that said, slow down? Well, that happened in 1999. Right. And, um, and I didn't do much about it then for about four or five years because I was about at that point. 
Yeah, it was, um, I spent about four or five years, um, uh, it kept on coming back to me, re recollections of what, what happened. Um, but I didn't write my first treatment for the film, I think until about uh, 2003, 2004. Mm. And, and then, and I'm really pleased that I didn't get to make the film at that point because my, my whole thoughts on it were very naive, very ill-formed. Um, it, um, it would have been a vastly different film had I made it at that time. Yeah, it took, long, it took me a long time of research, reading, talking to people to really understand what intuition is because I found it very confusing at first. You think you know what intuition is, but really when you get into it, it's a far more complex subject than you realise. Well, I have to say the film really is very broad in its exploration of what you've called intuition because you've gone into, um, you know, channeling. You start off with Lee Carroll, who channels Cryon. Mm. And, you know, my audience will know who this is, but maybe the mainstream audience wouldn't. And you talk to professors and um, psychics, channelers, gurus, mediums, psychiatrists, scientists. What is really interesting, religious teachers, holy men, sages, saints, priests, theologians, healers, and the student, oh, I love the student, um, is that Aboriginal, at the beginning of the film, Bill, you say, I, I talk to the Aboriginal elders, and you show this beautiful shot of the outback, and, this, and he's not in the film. You cut him out, <laughs> the Aboriginal well, What um, happened to him? <laughs> okay, and I've got to say, over a three-year period, I, sh I shot interviews with 76 people. Right. There are only 26 in the movie. Right. Um, I shot 120 hours of material, which cut down to 83 minutes. Yeah. So um, he hit the floor. Um, I spent about um, editing room floor. Um, I spent about a week in Konya in central Turkey talking to the Sufis. They hit the floor. Oh, I, spent, yeah. I spent a week in the Vatican. I ended up doing about eight or nine interviews with the Vatican. I only used one person from the Vatican for a very short piece. Mm. So I just had to make some really tough decisions. Um, yeah. And, um, but also I, I got to say, if I was to do, if I was to do the Aboriginal perspective justice, it would require more than just a short piece. Right. You know, it, it would, it, it would require something much, much longer because it is very complex. Another film. <clears throat> Pardon me. It is another film, but, but, but then, you know, if you do that, then you've got to look at, um, you've got to look at, at spiritual, <clears throat> pardon me, I've got a frog in oh. my throat. <laughs> um, you've got to look at, um, you couldn't just do it on the Aboriginal people. You'd have to do it then on the Indigenous people more widely. Mm. Um, and that's an interesting subject, but it wasn't the subject of my film. Mm -hmm. Well, I suppose you could release maybe little short snippets of the, the um, things that weren't in the film on the website a bit later on for people that are really exploring this because who did you make the film for? So this is what I, I'm thinking about. So, uh, you know, I'm well-versed in all this stuff, but I have a passion for humanity to awaken. So for people like my brother who goes bah humbug, you know, I really love to speak to those people like the mainstream. I think it's really important that everyone knows how powerful they are, you know, their intuitive abilities. So, so when you were making the film, who, did you have someone in mind in particular that would be your audience? Yes, me. 
me. <laughs> and, and I say that because, because, you know, I started out a skeptic, as mm. I say in the film. I came from parents who were both uh, dentists. They, I grew up in a household that was very uh, evidence-based in its thinking. Um, I started off doing medicine myself. Right. Um, and then segued across to journalism. So, you know, for a good deal of my um, formative years, I was very much um, a skeptic. Journalism trains you to be cynical. Mm. Um, and when I say I made the film for me, I figured that if, if I found the film interesting and if I found, if I discovered things through the film, then I figured there'd be a lot of other people out there would do the same because I'm, I'm just a regular person. I'm not an expert. I'm not a psychic. I'm not a medium. I don't have any spiritual or psychic powers. I'm just a regular bloke. And what makes me different is that um, I've got the skills to make a movie. You know, so I made the film for me. Mm. And I figured that if I, if I found it interesting, then other people would find it interesting too because I'm no different from anyone else. Mm. But as you say, further on down your journey, you've... Um intuitively attracted people to you that are you know like pretty out there for the mainstream audience let me tell you what my brother said so I I showed it to him and I'm like you know I'm pounding it what did you think and he goes yeah it was really good it really captured his attention he kept watching he didn't get bored you know if, if you're not interested in a subject usually you're kind of like oh what time is it um, but he was like I was watching his face <laughs> and he was watching it the whole time he said you know, what I liked about it is it didn't throw it in your face and, and like tell you that you have to be a certain way. It gave you a choice. And I'm like, right, okay. And he, and he said, you know, you can think about this stuff or not think about it. It's your choice. And I'm like, okay, right. And he said, um, and everyone in the film was experts. You know, they were all experts. So he, he really got the sense that the people he, were, he was listening to were really experts in their field. Uh, which I thought was wonderful the way that you've portrayed that because a lot of the people like Lee Carroll and, and Paul Selleck and, and a lot of the people that are channelers, you know, on their own, if you present them to the mainstream audience, people are going to go, what the? But as you've presented them, they appear as experts, which they are in their field. Um, but you've thrown them in there with uh, psychiatrists and scientists and holy men and sages. It's like you've the whole gamut. So... For people that are watching this, if, they're, um, if they've got friends or relatives that, that are awakening and maybe asking questions, this film is a great place. It's a great place to start. What do you think? Well, I think so. I think um, what, your, what your brother said, I think, was very interesting because, um, look, it's really interesting. I heard a voice and the voice came out of nowhere. So then I went to people who hear voices and channel them. Mm. And that's why there are so many channels in the film. Yeah. Uh, and the people in the film, like Paul Selig and Lee Carroll, who, you know, as you know, channels for cry on, um, and genuine mystics like Carolyn Mays, genuine mystics, mm. and Judith Orloff. These are extraordinary people, and they're real. Mm. And James Van Prague as well. Mm. Um, they do stuff that you can't make up. You know, they're, abs they're absolutely bona fide real they have a connection with higher realms and i came to the conclusion that that voice that came out of nowhere came from a higher realm so i want to speak to people who spoke to voices <laughs> it really is as simple as that so when this voice spoke to you, you said it happened twice slow down was it a quiet voice that you ignored initially and then did the next time did it get louder 
Like, did it shout at you? Like, slow down. It did. It did. You know, what's, what's interesting, Karen, is um, since making this film, and I've been screening the film now theatrically around Australia and around the US for the past 12 months, mm. what's been absolutely a, a huge eye-opener for me is that people have come forward almost at every screening and recounted their own story of a voice, um, usually it's a voice, that intervenes and that saves their life or saves the life of, of someone else. We had a screening in, in Leichhardt in Sydney here, pardon me, um, when was it? Late last week. I had two, two, people, two people step forward and, and gave me their own personal stories. And once again, it was a voice. And oftentimes the voice says, same, same thing with me, it says it once, and the person ignores it, then it says it second time, and the second time is louder and more, more emphatic. Uh, one story was about somebody were, was told, put your foot on the brake now, and the person put the foot on the brake, and then a man lurched out, thought it was either drunk or um, on drugs, lurched out from between two cars on the side and in front of the car. That person had time to stop because they'd already been braking because the voice had told them to brake. But had that voice not intervened, they would, have, they would have hit that drunk or drug person and would have killed them. And this is another very, very interesting thing that I've discovered. It's what I've called proxy intuition. In that instance, that intuition didn't save the life of the driver. It saved the life of the person who was lurching out between the two cars, parked cars. Mm. And so I started to realize that, in fact, intuition not only works as a safeguard for, for you, for the person who's having that intuitive impulse or insight, but it can also work in a proxy way to, to save the life of somebody else. Now, mm. mind you, had that driver hit that person, that driver's life would have changed just by, by the mere fact of having hit the person and killing them. Mm. You know, you know, the driver would not have been killed, but certainly the life would have been uh, you know, affected quite markedly from that point. But this notion of proxy intuition that you in fact can carry intuition for somebody else is a really interesting one. It's one that, um, that um, I'm quite fascinated by. Well, what's really interesting about the movie is that you, you not only talk about intuition in a sort of scientific way, you go into angels, soul plans, purpose, uh, you know, like what, what, well, like what are we doing here? So you really take you really take the person on a journey, and um, I loved that you, you talked about angels um, because when people when when people are thinking about intuition, I think they're thinking more about that gut feeling, sort of guiding them rather than an angel talking to them. Mm-hmm. And so, well, well, in in my instance, I had a I heard a voice, mm. and so one of the things that I questioned was where did that voice come from and could it have been the voice of an angel? Mm. Because we're told that we have guardian angels and so forth. Mm. And when I started this film, I didn't believe in any of that stuff. Mm. Um, Getting back to what your brother said for a minute, you know, he said that I didn't try and force any particular opinion down anyone's throat. Mm. One of the things that I've tried to do in this film is um, say, look, this happened to me these are the questions I asked. These are the people that I went and spoke to to answer those questions. And I have left it up in the air because I'm not proselytizing in this movie. I'm not saying, I'm not saying this is what you've got to do. What I'm, mm-hmm. saying, what I'm saying is this happened to me. 
these are the people I met, this is what I discovered. Um, isn't that pretty bloody amazing? <laughs> you know? Pretty bloody amazing. Two yeah, and, point of view. Um, yeah, and, and so, so I'm not saying do this, do that. You know, you've got to become intuitive. Um, as Lee Carroll says in the movie, this is not evangelizing. You know, there's some mm. people who just aren't ready to live an intuitive life. They're not ready to trust their intuition. And that's okay. Um, you know, it, um, this, the film is called A Journey by Bill Bennett. And so what the film does is it charts my journey. Now, if people want to take something from that and learn from it and, and um, be impacted by it, that's fantastic. But if they don't, if they're not ready for it, that's okay too. Well, Bill, I totally understand that because that's what I do with the show. You know, I present people's stories, their journey, their life's journey and their wisdom uh, rather than, you know, teaching you have to, you have to, you have to. It's like, look at how this person, look what happened to this person. And then, you know, as we watch different people's journeys, we reflect on our own or we see our own journey. So I think it's the best way to really teach people anything is to share of our personal journeys. But... Um, Oh, what else did my brother say? Something else that my brother said. We were talking about, uh, which you discuss in the film, why it was a voice and not a gut feeling or an impulse. Or like you, you discuss the many aspects of intuition, the many roles that it plays. Some people hear, some people feel, some people have a, just a knowing or a download. Or, a, 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 you know, you can have a, a vision. I had a vision in the shower yesterday, but anyway. Um, I call myself a multi-sensory intuitive because I have to say that when I'm engaged in my intuition, which is pretty 24-7, all those senses are online. And I think that it's the same for all of us, except that maybe there is a dominant one. And uh, so hearing a voice, one of the people that you spoke to said, because you're a communicator, the voice spoke to you as opposed to the gut feeling of like, I need to slow down. Do you think that that's how it works? Well, Ma well, Michael Tamura says that. Michael's one of the top psychics in America. Mm -hmm. um, Lee Carroll said something quite interesting as well. Lee Carroll said that um, it, uh, at that point, I didn't believe in intuition. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it needed to be something really quite striking, quite dramatic to, uh, to intervene to save my life. And I would not have trusted a gut feeling um, because because I, I wasn't intuitive at that point. Not that I wasn't intuitive, but it's, it's that I, I just simply wouldn't have trusted it. And it needed something really quite direct and quite dramatic to, um, to stop me from being killed. Mm. And so he said, so, you know, you know, you needed a voice and you got a voice. And, you know, it's interesting, once again, coming back to the people who have told me about their personal stories. Oftentimes it is a voice, and what's, what's fascinating is that nine times out of 10, the, the stories that people tell me, it involves a car, it involves a motor, motor car. Yeah. Uh, it might well be that driving and cars and roads and so forth are perhaps one of the most dangerous, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, thing, things that we can, we can do. Uh, but yeah, pretty much, pretty much the majority of the stories are car related and they do involve a voice. It's interesting. Years ago, I read the Seth books when I was on a deep search for meaning in my 20s. And um, he was talking about telepathy. And he said, you don't understand, but all of you are communicating telepathically all the time. 
you're probably not aware of it, but that's what's happening. He said, you couldn't drive your vehicles on your roads if that wasn't happening. And then, of course, I reflected to driving and I thought, he said, you know, often you know what's going to happen, like, oh, this idiot's going to cut in on me. Or, you know, you just have this intuitive knowing a, a lot when you're driving. Even when you're sitting at the lights, you look at somebody because they're looking at you and you know they're looking at you. It's like we're operating in this connected way all the time, but we're not always aware of it. I found that really fascinating years ago. Do you think that that's what's happening on the roads most of the time? So we're not killing each other? Well, look. What you've done is you've, you've uh, raised a whole bunch of different uh, elements here. Right. Um, telepathy, from, from my understanding of what the term means, is your ability to, to, to be able to communicate with somebody else. So in other words, to, if you want to break it down, to read that person's mind or tra um, communicate your thoughts to somebody else and, and for that person to be able to communicate with you in a nonverbal way. Um, that's different from intuition. Intuition is a guidance system. Intuition is, um, is not mind reading. Uh, my definition of intuition is a sudden unexplained insight that comes unaided by logic, intellect, or expertise. So that different definition doesn't fit telepathy. Um, what I discovered in the making of the film is that there are actually three types of intuition. I've, I've categorized intuition into three broad groups. The first is survival intuition, which is intuition from the body. And that's the survival instinct that we all have as, as animals. Mm -hmm. There's cognitive intuition, which is intuition based on expert knowledge. And oftentimes it's subsumed. We don't even know that we have it, but we pull from our past experience, our expertise, our expert knowledge to come up with an intuitive insight. But that's based on intellect. That's intuition from the mind. The third type of intuition is what I call mystical intuition, which is what happened to me. That's intuition that cannot be explained. It's totally inexplicable. It is a voice um, that protects you. Uh, mystical intuition presents in dreams, synchronicities, coincidences, uh, moments of deja vu. Uh, it uh, presents in numerology, astrology, these, these types of things. Mystical intuition is intuition that is from a higher realm. And that is a totally different type of intuition from, say, cognitive intuition. And when you're talking about driving on the road and anticipating what another driver might do and so forth, that's, that's cognitive intuition. That's intuition from the mind. That's not mystical intuition. And to an extent, it's also survival intuition as well. Can you see the, the delineation between the three categories? Uh, I actually feel that they're all very blurred. The lines are very blurred. But would you put channeling into mystical intuition? Would you call channeling into mystical intuition? No, channeling is not, channeling's not intuition. Um, channeling is a communication with a higher realm. So, so how does that fall into those three categories of intuition? It doesn't. It, it doesn't. doesn't. No, it's a psychic ability. Now, you know, what, what your fellow said is that we all do have psychic ability. Some people um, have... Um, more they've developed them more or they have been born with greater sensitivity to the psychic abilities we all do have them um, but you know for instance somebody like Paul Selig um, Paul was a NYU academic for most of his life mm -hmm. and he, he didn't come into his psychic abilities until he was um, in his middle age you know middle years 
And that happened through a series of events that, that are explained in his books, but it was quite um, an epiphany for him. And he suddenly realized that he did have these abilities and then he developed them over a long period of time. But that's different from intuition. Okay. Um, I'm just gonna, I just want to go back to the angel because um, I've had Paul on the show. I, I know his story and I love his work. I love what the guides say. I just love mm -hmm. it. Don't love the way it, it is presented with the whispering and then the repeating, mm -hmm. but I love the words. So the books are fabulous. Um, uh, but, you know, I had Garnet Schulhauser on the show a, a few times and Garnet was a um, corporate lawyer for 30 odd years and he was walking down the street one day and a homeless man stopped him in the street and said, why are you here? And long story short, this homeless man ended up being a spirit guide who gave him his sole purpose and started channeling information to him and then taking him on astral journeys around the cosmos and showing him all this stuff. Their books are amazing. But he met his guardian angel on one of his astral journeys and he was asking his angel what her job was in his life. And she said, well, specifically my job in your life is to stop you from killing yourself <laughs> before your time is up. And he said, as a pinned down corporate, you know, corporate lawyer, he'd been very, very fixed, very safe, very sort of fixed man. And he said, oh, well, you've had an easy job with me. He said, I've, you know, never taken any risks. You wouldn't have had to save me very often. And then she opened up this screen for him and said, let me show you how many times I've saved your life. And he just saw countless times that she had intervened in him like a little boy running onto the road, you know, classic. How amazing. Running well, after the what's ball. His name? What's his name, Garnet who? Garnet Schulhauser. He's a Canadian man, lives in, um, oh, gee, I've forgotten now, uh, Calgary, I think, or he used to live in Calgary. Now he lives in Victoria. Anyway, he lives in Canada somewhere. And his yeah. books, he's written four books. They're amazing. I'll send you the link to the shows I've done with him. But what I found fascinating about Garnet's story is that mm we don't realize how protected we are you know like you had a voice that saved your life but mm. and and you have this one instance that sort of changed the trajectory and the rest of your life and now is mm. changing the rest of other people's lives as they mm. watch your movies and read the books and see interviews mm. uh but this is happening all the time and uh listening to garnet talk to his guardian angel you, you sort of sit back and go, oh, I wonder how many times my life has been changed and all these images come to mind then and then and then and then. Mm -hmm. So it's just beautiful to know how loved we are, really, how protected we are in many ways. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I've discovered in the making of the film is that the number one purpose of intuition is to keep us safe from harm and to keep us alive because if we're dead or if we're infirm in a hospital somewhere we can't fulfill our life's purpose mm -hmm. and our intuition the purpose of our intuition is to keep us on our purpose and we can't be kept on our purpose if we cark it <laughs> yes and yes that this is true <laughs> this is true i've also spoken to other people on the show who've had many lifetimes of being physical and they said oh, this is too hard, you know, like being physical is too hard, too many problems, too many negative, and they do cark it before their time because they just want out of here and their guides sort of cross their arms and say, you weren't supposed to do that, you know, go back and do it again. <laughs> so, yeah, keep us here before we cark it. But, you know, as I was talking to my brother the other day, 
we were discussing, we were discussing the voice in your head and I had this flash of intuition, girl. Well, I have those all the time. Intuition. I thought, why haven't you put this intuition to learn from within? Tuition is to learn, to be taught, instruction, teaching. And it's like inward teaching. I thought, mm. oh my God, the word itself says it all. Mm. That's quite true. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. It just occurred to me the other day and I thought, isn't that brilliant? He didn't put that in the film. Mm. All right. Um, people in the movie, I've discussed this. Oh, this is something I wanted to ask you. Trey Gamble, who's the student? Mm. Is he related to Kimberly and Foster Gamble? No, it's just an absolute total coincidence, uh, the, the same name. Um, no, Trey was the son of a lady that uh, my wife and I met in Texas. Um, the lady was the sister of someone that I've worked with in the film industry here in Australia. Right. So it was a series of, um, series of circuitous kind of connections that took me to Trey. Um, when we went to Texas, my wife and I had dinner with this lady and Trey came along and over dinner, we were talking about the film, about intuition, of course, and, and Trey was very articulate in denouncing it and saying that, um, it could not work for him. And I said, young man, I really do have to, I really do have to speak to you on camera. Mm. And so that's how he came about. But Karen, I got to say... Um, the whole film sort of happened like that. I was just led from person to person to person to be interviewed. Yeah. I, I didn't know who James Van Prague was two days before I met him. Oh, really? Oh, That's I, didn't, I, I didn't have a clue. That's fabulous. Um, yeah, I'd, um, I kind of knew who Carolyn Mace was, but not really. And by, you know, and I did a bit of a, um, a bit of quick research before I did the interview, but. Um, well, I have to say in the film, she's fabulous, but she's still scary. I mean, Carolyn is scary. She's scary. She's passionate. She's like one of those passionate, defiant women who um, you ask her about angels. Do you believe in angels? And she goes, no, I don't believe in angels. Like she said, I have, I'm past believing, you know, I don't need to believe. I just know. And she's like this really, she's really scary. I was watching my brother and he was kind of like, I <laughs> fabulous she's fabulous yeah. but what i want to come back to trey because trey made me cry a couple of people made me cry because there's lots of people postulating and talking and then giving their wisdom and channeling and it's all wonderful and beautiful but trey made me cry because oh my god what he says you know he says oh it just speaks to the fear that you know he said my generation is told to be successful we've got to um get the education, get the job, get the money, be happy, is what he says, you know, in that order. And, and I'm thinking, not just your generation, Trey, which is the young generation, it's like all our generation were told that, like everybody's told that. Don't give up your day, day job, don't listen to your passion, don't listen to your intuition, get the degree, get the job, get the money, be happy. And so he speaks to what is driven into every single human being. And that's why it made me cry. And he said, I can't afford to listen to my intuition because then I won't follow the rules that I have been told to do. And um, oh, it just made me cry. And that's why I wondered if he was Foster Gamble's son because Foster and Kimberly Gamble are these amazing spiritual teachers. Of course, Foster made the incredible movie Thrive. And I'm thinking, 
that can't be coming out of the mouth of someone who's related to Foster Gamble. That's why I needed to know if um, there's a relationship. So yeah, I, yeah, purely, purely coincidental. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the reasons why I, Trey is one of the people that remained in the film mm. and didn't hit the editing room floor is that he does speak beyond his generation. And, you know, he, he is in a section where the film discusses fear, yeah. fear and, and intuition. And he really does articulate it very, very well. But fear is the greatest inhibitor to intuition. And what he says ab makes absolute sense. There are, you know, we've got to live day to day. We've got to pay the mortgage. We've got to... Um, Be successful. You know, yeah. You know, there's all these sort of pressures on us to to be successful, to earn a good living, to have status, all of those things. And in many ways, they, uh, they go against the notion of just dropping everything, walking out the door and following your intuition. Um, you know, so, so he articulates something that is very, very real. Yeah. Um, but Lee Carroll comes back and says, look, when you're ready for it, then you're going to be ready for it. Um, and, you know, I think, that's very, I think that's very, very true. There are times in your, times in your life when, but look, I've got to come back to this. And that is that um, now that I know what I know about intuition, I look back on my life. I, I look at, at um, major turning points in my life, major decision points. And I can see how my intuition tried to influence me. Mm. And I now, with, with um, the wisdom of hindsight, I can see those times when I did follow my intuition, things worked out. Mm. Those times when I didn't and things got very difficult. And... Uh, relationships broke down or um, I wasted years of my life or I pursued things that I thought were meaningful but turned out not to be meaningful, these kind of things. <laughs> I can see now how my intuition has constantly been trying to guide me through my life. Absolutely, absolutely. And what I love that Trey um, postulates to, you know, thinks about, choose over, is he denounces, I can't afford to believe in intuition because I've got to get the degree, get the job, get the money and, and be happy. He starts talking about um, Bill Gates and not Bill Gates. I'm sorry. Apple Steve, guy, Steve, Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs and, and, I, and Einstein and Einstein and how yeah. they followed their intuition and they were this huge mm. success. Mm. And then he starts to like, you know, like it confuse, it's confusing him because he's got this stance of like, I, I can't afford to engage in intuition because I've got to do these things. But all these really successful people did exactly that. Like Steve Jobs dropped out of university and mm -hmm. followed his gut feeling to do a, calligraph a calligraphy course he actually did mm -hmm. to the horror of his parents mm -hmm. and, and then started art and calligraphy. And when he developed the Apple computer, that calligraphy came in really well to, for the keyboard. And so he's kind of, he's in that place of postulation, like thinking about, maybe I could change that stance because look how it worked in the lives of these successful people, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. Yeah. So um, uh, one thing that Peter said too, and Peter says, hi, by the way, because he walks out for work this morning. I said, I'm going to be talking about you today. <laughs> this is my brother. He says, I'll say hi to Bill. <laughs> okay. I said, hi. Is that he said, um, you know, you, you've got a choice to listen to your intuition or not. And it doesn't matter. And I said, I actually think that the message in the film says it does matter, just as you said, when you do listen to your intuition, it takes you um, 
on a road of success or um, things work out. And when you don't listen, things don't work out. So um, I think that that came across really strongly in the movie that it, it's not an option whether you listen or not. It's something that you need to listen to. Well, it is something you need to listen to, but, but, but not everybody is ready to. And, um, and sometimes you need to take time out or you need to make mistakes for you, for you to grow. See, one of the things that I've come to realize is that a lot of people um, turn to their intuition after a big calamity. Yeah. Um, after a health issue or after somebody's died or there's been a big relationship breakup or mm. lost a lot of, lot of money or business has gone bust or something like that. You know, and so they, they reevaluate the way that they've been doing things and the way, and the way that they've been approaching life. And oftentimes that takes them back to these concepts that we're talking about, mm. you know, of, of, um, of trusting guidance because in trusting their rational, logical intellect thinking, things have not worked out exactly. and, or, or, you know, um, medicine hasn't saved that person from dying from cancer or, you, you know, um, following good practice in business hasn't stopped that business from going bust. You know, so, so yeah, a lot, you know, a lot of people that I meet, when I talk to them, they've come around to accepting the notion of intuition, in particular mystical intuition, because something dire has happened to them or to someone that they know in the past. Exactly. It's a wake-up call, isn't it? Which is... Mm. Um, which is actually what my brother's been going through. He's uh, followed his logic and it hasn't uh, led him to the success that he thought it was. And, uh, and, and now he's, and because of that, you know, he got sacked from his job and so on. He ends up staying with me for a period of time, this mystical sister who channels and talks to dead people and interviews people on shows and stuff. And there's no coincidence that he's staying at my place and I'm throwing these films and things in front of him. <laughs> it's like, wake up, call. <laughs> wake up call but um one of the other guys that i thought was fascinating was dr dean randon researcher of raiden raiden r-a-d-i-n researcher mm. into human consciousness uh he, he he comes across as one of the scientists he's actually a beautiful and magical mystical man but he comes across as this sort of fixed scientist and you ask him you know what do you think happens when you die mm. do you want to talk about what he said well, he knocked me sideways when he said this. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I said, what do you think happens to you when you die? And he says, well, there are two options. One is that everything can just go blank and, and that's it. Uh, or the other is that you can, your essence can go on forever. And, um, and then he said, and, and perhaps then I can do what I really want to do, which is go visit other galaxies. And, I loved that. Uh, as yeah. soon as he said that, it was all I could do from behind the camera just to stop from bursting out laughing. Because <laughs> um, Dean, I've got to know Dean quite well, and he has a wicked sense of humour. He is a meticulous, rigorous scientist. Yeah. But the flip side of him is that he has this very, very, very um, sly sense of humour, and it comes out of nowhere. And I, I felt it was important to put that in the movie. I just like, because exactly, he comes across as absolutely meticulous, 
fixed scientific if you can't measure it if you can't see it it doesn't exist and then he says but what i really want to do is, is go and visit other galaxies and i'm thinking there are aspects of you that are out there in the galaxies you know and mm. probably those galactic aspects of you are mm. you know communicating to you and through you in your scientific work because um mm. that's exactly okay. how scientists thinks if you can't measure it it doesn't exist and you know, how do you well, measure intuition? You can't measure intuition. That's why science, uh, that's why science doesn't acknowledge that mystical intuition exists. Mm. I mean, what, what, what Dean and others have been doing is they have been measuring intuition to a certain extent. And that is, they've been measuring things like precognition, mm. um, you know, and, and the physical kind of um, manifestations of intuitive impulses. But what they haven't been able to do is they haven't been able to figure out where it comes from, uh, how it works and why we have it. Mm -hmm. And just as science hasn't been able to figure out why we have dreams and where the dreams actually come from. Look, science hasn't figured out a lot of stuff and um, there's a ways to go. But I think in the near future, not too distant future, you know, our, our science and our spirituality will merge completely. It's merging now. You know, what gurus have been saying for years about meditation, science is is coming out with all this data about how it changes you and brain science and all that sort of thing. But well, um, Karen, yeah, look, I, I think to an extent that's very true. And there, there is, you know, becoming a convergence between science and spirituality. Is that no doubt, mm. but science will never prove that God exists. Science mm. will never prove that a soul exists. Um, these are what I call in the film, the unknowables. And, and I don't think science should, I think it's important that we do have true mysteries in our life because that gives us hope. Mm. Mm, if exactly. we take away, if we take away all the mystery in life, then, then we also take away hope. Mm, mm. Absolutely. Life is mysterious. Another thing that was discussed in the movie is about, I think this was in the section in fear. Uh, intuition does not decide for you. I loved that line because um, you know, we're given this guidance, these gut feelings, these voices, but ultimately we have this free will to decide whether to follow it or not. I think this is in the part where you talk about uh, why doesn't it work? What stops intuition? And I think Caroline May says intuition doesn't decide for you. I loved that. I love, it's actually Paul Selig. Paul. Um, yeah, Paul, Paul says that. And... Um... Uh, you know, Paul, as you know, you know his work. Yeah, um, he's, got a, he's got a new book coming out, the Book of Freedom coming out um, next yeah. week. But um, this notion that intuition doesn't decide for you, I think is a terribly important, important one. Um, it's, if there is, you know, one of the questions that I'm asked often at Q&A is, is um, how do you know what is your intuitive voice and how do you know what is your made-up voice or your rational voice? And one of the ways that I, I say you can tell is there is no fear or ambiguity or doubt associated with your intuitive voice. It's very clear, it's very quiet, it's very sure, but there's absolutely no fear associated with it because fear doesn't work with intuition. Fear and, um, you know, I say in the film that fear is the biggest inhibitor to intuition. So if there is, if you're undecided as to what is your intuitive voice, you, 
that intuitive impulse and what is your um, intellect, ego, personality talking to you, or as what Paul Selig would say, your, your small self, um, then if there's any kind of doubt associated with it, then you know that it's small self-based. Small self, that's so true. I have to say, uh, this is something I, I wrote at the beginning, you know, PGS, personal guidance system, goes hand in hand with EGS, emotional guidance system. So um, that's exactly right. People ask me this all the time. How do I know if it's my guides talking to me? Because people ask me, you know, how do I speak to my guides or my guidance talking to me or my intuition talking to me and not my, just me thinking, me making it up. And um yeah, what you said is that the mind questions and intuition or your guidance knows. So if, you've, if there's a question in the thought, like what, how, or if, if there's a feeling in the thought that's not one of um, certainty or peace or joy, then you know that it's your mind and not your intuition because your intuition's always connected to an emotion of surety or joy or peace or certainty or just knowing like how do you know that i don't know how i know that but i just know it's like so there's an emotion connected to it i disagree with that i don't think there is an emotion um i don't, A I don't feeling. yeah i think that um i think intuition works um mystical intuition works without emotion it's just it's just that sense of surety well, that's an emotion. It's a feeling of surety. That's an emotion. Yeah. Um, I mean, emotion is just an indication of a feeling of a, of a you know, feeling that you're having in your body. A sense of surety is an emotion. I think that a lot of people think of emotion as only negative emotions. Um, oh, no, you can enjoy and happiness. And... Joy, happiness, surety, confidence. These are all emotions. These are all feelings, energy moving through us that we feel. And before, you know, when I was talking about the three categories and you said that there's a blurring between the three, you're absolutely right in that, in that intuition is energy and energy has no boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, but, but one of the things that I, I had difficulty with when I first started um, making this film, Karen, is that, is that when I looked at intuition, I started reading books on intuition, um, it covered such a broad a- area. You know, there, there were so many different types of intuition or, and they didn't fit one particular definition. You know, the definition seemed to be very rubbery. Um, you read Gary Klein's books, for instance, and they talk about cognitive intuition. Or, you know, you read Carolyn Mace's books and they talk about mystical intuition. But I never, this, these three categories are something that I came to, a conclusion that I came to, and it was only really for me to try and make clarity out of what I saw as being quite a broad, disparate definition of what intuition is. Mm-hmm. Well, you're presenting it as a, you know, you're presenting it to people. I can only go on how I relate to it because I experience it. And, um, and in my experience, it's very blurred. I have guides channeling through me. Sometimes they click in and I know when they click in because I feel it. And then I have just gut, just knowings, just absolute lightning fast knowings. I don't know how I know. And I have voices talking to me and I have sight or I have a gut feeling. Like all of it is switched on, like multi-sensory. 
But I started to think about this because I had a psychic on my show who called herself a, a multisensory intuitive. And I thought, mm. oh my God, that's such a great, you know, like I stole it from her because we are multisensory because we have multisensory in our physical, you know, we have a sight and smell and hearing. So we are multisensory and we are using all our physical senses at once. Why wouldn't we use our intuitive senses all at once as well? It's not like, we only see and don't hear or we only feel and don't see, you know, like um, we can use them all at once. And that's how I experience my intuitive abilities. And I think we all have them. And I think we're born with them. Mm. I think that we operate on them as a baby. And then as our physical senses kick in, we start to rely only on the physical senses and the other ones recede. And that's something that Paul Selleck says when you ask him, about um intuition now what did i put down uh what peter said where's paul he said something about systems you were talking about systems of energy and is intuition a system within our body and you discuss that and you ask the guides and he said that it's um not the right word but it's a system where did I write it? I said it's, it's, you said it's not, not, not the right word, but it's, it's, the, um, it's the right idea. And he talks about, um, about, um, talks, talks about it being a muscle, you know, that you've got to develop it. Develop your circulatory through use and uh, reliance, upon, reliance it. upon it. I thought yeah. I, everything that comes out of his guide, you know, I just love what he says because yeah, because I can relate because when you do rely on it, it expands, it grows, it gets more and use and reliance. So if you're not relying on it, not using on it, then it retracts. And um, yeah, I love Paul Selleck. Uh, I have to say, I absolutely love, and I'm going to put this in, in this little interview, what the Prince of Bhutan said. Um, you didn't, he didn't hit the edit, edit room floor. I just loved what he said. Well, he... Um... I did quite a long interview with him. In fact, I went to Bhutan oh. just for that one interview. Right. And um, I only used one small section of him, but what he said was very special. How important do you believe is intuition in a person's life? How important do you think uh, having a heart is in the human body? <laughs> um, physically, you can't live without your heart. Mentally, spiritually, uh, I don't think you can survive without intuition. Very special. So do you think that you'll put up any of the uh, interviews that didn't make the film for people to watch? Maybe just pop them on the website? I'd love to watch them. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I, I mean, for instance, I did a... The interview with Carolyn Mace was something like 75 minutes. I've only used probably in total maybe five to seven minutes from, from her in the film. Mm. Um, and a lot of that interview was absolutely fascinating. Same with James Van Praag. Absolutely. Um, you know, so, so there's a lot of very rich material there that hasn't made the cut. Mm. Um, it's, um, I'm not sure at the moment. I'm just really sort of focused on our launch. We launch online tomorrow. I know, November. I forgot to say that at the beginning of the movie, yeah. So the 1st of uh, November, because this will come out after the 1st, mm. it'll be available streaming online because it's been only available through screenings and DVDs up until this point, hasn't it? 
Well, I, not even DVDs, only, only oh. through screenings, only right. through, uh, it's been theatrical screenings across Australia and America. Um, but it's goes, um, it goes online from November 1 off our website, pgsthemovie.com. And so people can watch it there. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, what Caroline Mice, Mace was saying about the blame game was amazing. I would actually love to see that whole interview with her because she is fascinating. Scary, but fascinating. People play the blame game like you told me um, uh, and they don't trust that they have authority over their own choices. That's something that you said is really pinnacle too, where you're standing at the crossroads and Peter and I were arguing about where that was. He's going, oh, that must be out the back of Burke. And I said, yeah, but uh, Bill lives in um, Mudgee. Surely it's somewhere around Mudgee. You're both <laughs> wrong. <laughs> where were you, Bill? It's, in uh, that's in South Australia on the York Peninsula. Okay. It was yeah. a great shot. Was it a drone shot where like, you've got all these choices? And you said, what I've come to know is that my life's about choices. Mm. And, um, and this is what Caroline was talking about, that we don't trust that we have authority over our own choices. That, and that's what intuition is. It's that authority to choose. Like, so we're asking the experts or the guru or reading it up in books, you know, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And I thought that was really key, what she said. Well, Carolyn's very, very strong on self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that to, to really be able to access your intuition, you really need to have self-esteem. Mm-hmm. That's the key to it because you can't, you can't trust your inner voice if you don't trust your inner voice, if you don't trust yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so self-esteem, uh, self-esteem, you know, when it came down to it, there are a couple of things that sort of were common amongst a lot of people when I asked them the question, how, you know, what would you say to somebody who wants to become more intuitive? And a lot of the people that I spoke to said, clean up your act, you know, <laughs> excuse the parlance, get your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, and by that, what they meant was, you know, get rid of things in your life like jealousy, anger, hatred, um, you know, all of these very negative things that in the end come back to fear. You know, they, they all often link back to fear, fear of loss, um, fear of lack, uh, fear of change, these kind of things. But, but when it came down to it, once you, if you can get rid of those things from your life, then you open yourself up then to the opportunity to access your intuition and trust it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I started the radio show probably around nine years ago now. Um, There's that silly show on television, you know, Frasier, and he's sprouting his wisdom on radio. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be amazing if there was someone on radio that actually had something decent to say? (laughs) <laughs> so I said to a friend of mine who works as a professional psychic, you know, in that she predicts futures and speaks to dead people um, professionally, and I said, I'd love to talk about law of attraction and our personal guidance system and intuition, all that stuff on radio. And she said, okay, let's do it. So the two of us teamed up and we asked people to call in and she would give them a psychic reading and then I'd talk about, you know, deliberate creation, how we have to clean up what you're saying, clean up our act. Um, you know, to in order to ha- create what we want. And I was watching her in her psychic ability, and this is what she said, I have to trust it, I have to trust it, I have to trust it, I have to trust it. She said that repeatedly. The first impulse I get, the first thing I see, the first voice, 
I have to trust that I'm being given it. And I remember thinking, you know, trust, that is so key when it comes to intuition. That first impulse, you've got to trust it before your mind has time to kick in and say, no, that's not right. It's really interesting because one of the things that, um, that I picked up in the making of the film was this notion of first thought, best thought. Right. First, first thought is your intuitive thought. That, that's, the, that's the thought that people often dismiss um, or, or run screaming from because it's a crazy thought. It's the wild, wild you know, thought that's going to take you down the paths less traveled. And what happens is that they dismiss that first thought. They go to their second thought, which is their rational, intellect-based thought. And they run with that. But that's the thought that's going to keep them where they are. Your first thought's going to take you into discovery, into um, multidimensional areas. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to take you into creativity. It's going to take you into, into new thought. Um, your second thought is going to keep you in your archives. It's going to keep you where yeah. you've always been. It's going, to, it's, it's going to have you draw on the past, the past and what you've known and mm-hmm. what's expected of you and, and so forth. It is the antithesis of discovery originality. It's stale. But that first thought leads to true originality. It, it's limitless. It's boundless. The second thought is very constrictive. Absolutely. It's very limiting. Absolutely. First thought, got to trust that first thought. Okay. First thought, best thought. First thought, best thought. Mm. How did making this movie, I think you've talked about it and you talk about it in the movie. I, I saw you on another interview with Michael on Inspire Nation and um, you said, Michael Sandler. Michael Sandler. And you said that, um, love that show. And you said that you weren't even going to put yourself in the movie. You were just going to put all the experts and then you had this realization or you're having a conversation with someone who said, no, you have to be the subject of the movie. Mm. So all the parts with you, did you, did that, did you make all that after you interviewed everybody? Like that came as a second, you know, like, yeah, well, look, what happened was um, the production of the film happened over quite a long period of time. Mm. It was three years, three years filming, two years of editing. Now, you know, anybody who knows anything about film production knows that two years editing is a long, long time. Yeah. Um, so what happened was, well, for a start, I had this huge amount of material, 120 hours, which I had to bring down. I had to view it <laughs> for a start, you know, which, which took a long time. But, um, but I came to a cut which I thought was my definitive cut, where I basically had all of the experts lined up and I did a little bit of introduction at the beginning of the film and then over the end credits I did a little bit of a, a recap right at the very end right at the end credits and then I showed that to people in Australia and overseas and the note that I got back two notes that I got back was one that was very dense you know with wall-to-wall experts saying a lot of you know really quite at times quite deep things that you needed to think about mm. it was very dense and you know, and, and the note was, we need to break that up a little bit. And the second note was, well, what about you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how did this impact on you? And what happened to you? And what is your interpretation of all of this? Well, I didn't want to put myself in the movie because I didn't feel like I had a right to. I just wanted to be the observer, the questioner, the person with curiosity. And... Um, but really, when it came down to it, Karen, I didn't want to put myself out there because I knew that if I put myself in the movie, I would have to express a point of view. 
And I was very uncomfortable about that because having, if, if I did express the point of view in a movie, there was no going back from that. I right. couldn't, there was no, nowhere to hide. There was nowhere to hide. Um, because what happened during the making of the film was that I started off the journalist, the cynic, the skeptic, yeah. uh, the, the person who did medicine, who had parents that were dentists, you know, the, the evidence-based, you know, if, if I can't measure it, then it doesn't exist, that, that, mm -hmm. that kind of thinking. But during the course of meeting all of these people and filming them and, you know, talking to people like James Van Prague and becoming friends with people like Paul Selig and Lee Carroll and so forth, it changes you, you know, and you start to realize Michael Tamura was a big influence on me, a huge influence. And you start to, if, if you approach it with an open mind, not with a rigid, fixed, closed point of view, but with an open mind, then it has to have an impact on you. I started off the film, I started off the film saying to myself, I do not want to use the word God in this movie. Wow. I, called it, I called it the G word. I couldn't even bring myself to use the word God. Yeah. Um, because it, it had for me so many connotations that I was very uncomfortable with. Yeah. Um, you know, um, fundamental Christianity and all, all sorts of things that I felt very uncomfortable with. Absolutely. But, and so I, I, I remember saying to myself, I, I've really got to keep in mind that I have to make this film and not mention the G word. <laughs> But what happened was that as, as, I, as I came to make the film and as I came to spend time with, with these people, and even the scientists as well, yeah. you know, not even the religious folk or the spiritual folk, but also the scientists as well, you know, operating at this very, very high level of expertise, you have to come to the conclusion that we are influenced, each of us are influenced and impacted by a higher power whether or not you want to call that God or oneness or the universe or the cosmos or whatever euphemism you want to put to it, there is, I have come to believe, a higher power that is having an influence on us all the time. And so um, it's not like I've turned Christian or turned religious or anything like that, but I have come to believe that there is a higher power that is impacting us and, that is, and its way of messaging us is through intuition. Exactly. Beautifully said. Well, I think that the religion has um, really not been very kind to the exploration of consciousness and spirituality. I think that, like you, uh, I wouldn't call myself a sceptic, but I would, uh, as a younger person, I was definitely agnostic. And the G word or the, or the J word, the Jesus or the God, I just couldn't come at that because it had been boxed in by religion. And it was just God-botherers to me. And um, Deepak Chopra, who talked about the quantum field of all possibility, I thought, now that's something that I can call God, this, you know, infinite field of all possibility, creative potential. Oh. And um, so I came at the G word through, through the beautiful Deepak Chopra and his, uh, his scientific or, you know, poetic explanation of God, I suppose. So... Um, I, because you do mention the G word in the movie and, and somebody asks the question, do you need to believe in God? What was the question? Well, that was a question I asked. Do you, do you need to believe in God to believe in intuition? Um, and Judith Orloff says, no, you don't. But yeah. what you do, do need to believe in is um, a connection with something greater. Mm. And you exactly. said whether, whether, you know, whether that's nature, 
whether it's the, um, the stars in the heavens, whatever it is, that's when you need to believe in. Mm, absolutely. So you've answered the question, how did this change you? It changed you profoundly, hanging out with all these beautiful people, um, which is like the show has done to me too. I thought I knew something. I thought I knew a thing or two before I started the show, but having interviewed delicious, beautiful people for the last eight or nine years, I've been profoundly changed as well, hearing their stories. But something that was really interesting is that you said, I used to wear glasses. For 15 years, I wore glasses uh, for long distance and for reading. And uh, even um, prescriptive lenses made in my sunglasses. I couldn't see without my glasses. Then I walked into, was it C Camino? The Camino? Oh, I walked the Camino. Do you want to tell us that story? <laughs> um, in 2013, I decided to walk the Camino de Santiago, uh, which is a pilgrimage route from uh, the French Pyrenees right across Spain. It's an 800 kilometer walk. Uh, to the west coast of Spain, to Santiago de Compostela. Um, I wasn't religious. Um, I'm not a Catholic. I had could not explain why I needed to do this walk, but I was frustrated at the time because I'd been trying to get PGS up as a movie and I, I couldn't. And so I dedicated my walk to PGS, to the movie that I wished to make. I decided that I would do the walk intuitively which was difficult for me because I'm a film producer and I like to organize everything. Yeah. I, like, I like to know where everything is ahead of time. But I decided that I would walk it intuitively. Um, at that point, I had been wearing glasses for 15 years. Um, they were a fixture of mine. But during the walk, I, um, I was taking photographs constantly. And to take a photograph, I'd need to take my glasses off and put the camera up to my eye because I've got a diopter in the eyepiece of my camera take the photo and put it back on again when you're walking sometimes 30 40 kilometers a day and you're taking sometimes 200 photos a day taking glasses off and taking them on again and so forth becomes um a hassle uh, yeah becomes awkward and particularly when it's cold and you've got gloves on and things like that so i decided one morning that i would just take my glasses off and just walk half blind and and take photographs and but after a while, I realized that I didn't need my glasses. And I came back from the Camino realizing that my eyesight was actually okay. And I didn't need my glasses that, you know, prior to that, I needed my glasses to do driving tests, you know, to pass my driving license tests, things like that. Yeah. I didn't need them. And what I think happened was this, and this is something that I firmly believe. The Camino has a energetic imprint there's a result of millions of feet of pilgrims that have walked that same trail over literally hundreds of years, almost since the time of Christ. Um, and what I think happens is that, is that if you walk with intent, then that spiritual intent is translated into the earth. And if you and the next person coming along, if they have that intent, they can take from that path, from that energy within that path, that spiritual intention from the previous pilgrims. And if you've got the spiritual intention and energy that's been built up over millions of pilgrims, over hundreds and hundreds of years, it's a very, very powerful energy that you're drawing from. Mm. That's why I'm really quite astonished that... Um, people 80, 90 years old walk that walk mm. and they don't have problems. 
people with major health issues walk that walk and they come, come to the end of it and they're healed. Well, for me, it wasn't something as dramatic as that, but it, it, did, um, it did mean that at the end of it, I didn't need to wear glasses anymore. And you still don't wear glasses? No. no. I mean, if you notice um, in the movie, uh, when I'm first driving the car, I'm wearing glasses. Right. If you go, you go back and have a look at the movie, I'm in the car. Yeah. I, I shot that, I think, I shot that before I walked the Camino while right. I was still wearing glasses, mm -hmm. that particular sequence. Mm. Um, but I haven't worn glasses since. No. Mm. I'll have to walk the Camino and get my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember when, because I wear glasses for short sight and now that I'm getting older, the long sight's going as well. But um, I play with this thought about sight too because it's interesting that as you expanded your knowledge and intuition that your physical sight improved as well, like the, mm -hmm. the insight and the outer sight improved. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was, uh, my brother had bought a boat years ago, the other brother, and my other brother and I went up to help him sail it down the coast. And it was at the time where my eyesight was going and I was wearing it to read. And I remember he bought this little boat. We're out in the sea and we're in this rocky sea. And I was downstairs in the cabin reading. And he yelled down and he said, don't you get seasick, you know, reading? And I said, no, no, I'm, I don't get seasick. I'm fine. I'm fine. But what I realized is that I was reading without my glasses. And I had this like, oh, my God, I haven't got my glasses on. and yeah, I realised that this sight thing is kind of malleable depending on where you are and what you're doing. And I think that being out on the ocean on a boat, not being on a screen or the computer or worrying about anything, um, yeah, my sight kicked back in again. So anyway, I've lost it again now because I'm on the computer all day, every day. Maybe if I walk the Camino, it'll, I'll get better <laughs> physical sight. <laughs> I can only recommend it. So, oh, it's been beautiful talking to you. Have you got any last things that you'd like to share with people about yourself, the movie? I love that you put yourself in the movie. I thought personally that we could have seen more of you throughout the movie um, because I loved hearing your journey. I mean, it's all very well listening to talking heads telling you great things, but I, it's the journey. It's your story that really is engaging. So um, what's next for Bill Bennett? What well, do you... Um, um... Next, next year, I'm starting a film on fear. Mm -hmm. And what's that going to entail? Well, I'm going to look at fear the same way I've looked at intuition. Mm -hmm. It's going to take the same format. It's going to be one of three... The, there are going to be three films in the family or in the trilogy. Mm -hmm. Intuition being one, fear being the other, and what I call The Veil is the third film. And The Veil will look at what happens to you once you die. Okay. Fabulous. The three films will be shot in a similar way. They'll be edited in a similar way. They'll be part of the same. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be a family of three films. Yeah, fantastic. Wonderful. Well, um, what happens to you when you die? You know, I've got a book series and the first book in the series is Awakened by Death because what I found that during the interviews that I've done for the last eight or nine years is that when I do an interview with someone about their near-death experience or what happens when you die or the afterlife, it gets the most hits on YouTube. And I figured that there are a lot of people asking what happens to you when you die. Mm. There's a lot of people asking. They're either asking that because of their own fear of death or they're asking it because they've had someone who's died and they want to know if they're still alive or if they can mm. contact them. Or mm. So I know that those um, films will be equally as successful. 
interesting. For people who want to get the um, PGS, Personal Guidance System, it's available now on your website. Where else is it going to be streaming on iTunes? It will next year sometime, yeah. Next year, 2019. It'll come out on iTunes, but it's on Vimeo at the moment, is it? Well, it's, it's, it's um, off our website, which is pgsthemovie.com. Um, so it can, be, it can be rented or bought there. And also people can buy the DVD? No, we're not doing a DVD at the moment. It's just streaming. Uh, okay. The DVD will come out later. Okay, great. Any last words, Bill, before we go? Oh, look, thank you, Karen. It's been a really lovely conversation. It's, um, and thanks for looking at the film um, the number of times that you did because you're obviously very familiar with it. You're able to quote it as well as me. Which I is loved pretty, it. Pretty I good. Great. I think that intuition is a really important subject and it's something people ask me all the time because it's something I was passionate about as a young girl to develop my intuitive and psychic and channeling abilities, you know, whatever category you want to put those in, even telepathic and, and I think that personally, it's where we're going as a human race. Um, you know, at the moment, there is a lot of stuff that's being covert, that's being uncovered. And I think that as we evolve as a human species, our intuitive or telepathic or psychic abilities will be, become more online. And so the lies and deception that we indulge in in this world cannot exist inside this sort of expansive, open you know, look into people's minds. I'm somebody who knows what people are thinking just by, I don't even have to meet them. I just look at a photograph of somebody. And so this, this vulnerability, this openness is going to only help make a better world. We have to stop lying to each other and ripping off people. And it's an important, important, important message. And, um, and if this film awakens people, if it does to people who watch it, what it did to you, who made it, then we're, we're doing well. We're all doing well. I think so too. Yeah. So thanks again for being on the show, Bill. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Wasn't the wonderful Bill Bennett fantastic? He is um, a bit of a light amongst the filmmaker community when people are making so many movies about violence and drama and he's out there talking intuition and, and enlightenment and channeling and all those fabulous things. And he's such an expert filmmaker. So we're so privileged in this community of conscious expansion to have someone with his expertise making movies, expanding consciousness. So go ahead to the, his website and check out his film. And it, it is a great film to show people like, I showed my brother um, people that are really uh, exploring this, wanting to understand it more or have a few questions. Um, even though it goes there with the channeling and angels and life purpose and everything, it's um, a bit of a quantum leap in expansion. But I think that that's what the world needs. You know, I think the world needs to wake up <laughs> with a quantum leap. <laughs> no more taking 30, 40, 50 years to awaken to the realisation that we're guided. It needs to happen kind of quickly. So this film is something that can do that And uh, for people. Thanks again for uh, watching and listening to another show, Accentuating Positive Recurrence, Wayne. And uh, I've got Penny Kelly coming up next in the Inner Sanctum online gatherings. She is just amazing. Somebody sent me an email last night and um, said how much that they enjoyed watching the interview I did with her in August and uh, how they've sent it on to all these people. So I, I watched it again last night because you know, I interview so many people and speak to so many clients and 
busy and I love Penny. She's just fabulous. I could have spoken to her for five hours. We spoke for about two hours, but she's just fabulous. So she's going to be a guest teacher in the Inner Sanctums online, uh, online gatherings that I put together. We have um, two gatherings a month. One is with me, so you get to ask me questions about anything you like. You can ask my guides questions um, or you can ask about the guests that I've spoken to and a plethora of information available. And then I invite a guest teacher to come in and share their wisdom with our little tribe. It's not expensive. It's very cheap. Uh, The inner sanctum, especially for Americans, because our dollar is just crazy at the moment. It's like under 70 cents Australian to one American dollar at the moment and the pound. So if you're in the UK or Europe, the euro, um, I've got the prices in Australian dollars, so it makes it very inexpensive for you. The cats come to say hello. Hello. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, remember to get the book, Awakened by Death, Personal Stories of Transformation, People Awakening Through the Death Experience. Bill said he's going to make a movie about um, what happens when you die. That'll be interesting. Thanks again for watching. Love you all. Mm, Bye for now.